A vague disclaimer is no one's friend. This podcast will look at episodes in relation to Buffy and Angel as a whole, and therefore contains spoilers for the entirety of both series. If you haven't seen all of Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Angel the series, go and watch them before you listen to this. Remember, you've been warned. The hardest thing in this world is to live in it. That's why there's us, champions. We live as though the world were as it should be, to show it what it can be. The Earth is definitely doomed. It's Tuesday, so it must be time to return to the Hellmouth. We're going through the Buffyverse episode by episode, and I'll look back at Joss Whedon's iconic shows. I'm MC, and I'm here with... Hey, it's Andy. This is David. And I'm Logan. Uh, This week, we're celebrating Buffy's birthday, which is always a treat. Oh, Uh, poor Buffy. Because we are talking about Helpless, which is episode 12 of season 3. It was written by David Fury and directed by James A. Cotner, and originally aired January 19th, 1999, which is, I think, one of the few Buffy birthday episodes which actually aired on what people have decided is Buffy's birthday. Huh. Hmm. My, my fun fact for the day is, before all this, David Fury wrote for Pinky and the Brain. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yes, I was like, I knew I liked you. Good good for him. Yeah, well, I do have some issues with him in this episode. I, I love this episode, but there's some stuff we will get into as we yeah. get into mm-hmm. this episode. So uh, the first thing we start out with is Buffy and Angel sparring, and I'm, it, I get the impression that it's supposed to be sexy sparring, but yeah. I don't know. I like when fighting is sexy between couples, but between Angel and Buffy, it's just like, eh, yeah. whatever. My comment is, don't don't set up the picnic before you're done sparring. <laughs> I mean, many of my dates do end in sparring, but, you know. (laughs) This is a different kind of sparring. Well, you never know. But, yes, they're sparring, and, ooh, but it's all sexy, because Buffy's straddling Angel, and... It's not so much sexy as sexy, if you can hear the quotes around that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they're, they're just so pent up. Is it just, like, sex, or could they, like, grind? Well, I, I... I'm just trying to find solutions here. I know, we talked about this, how we don't really think the curse is because Angel's aware of it now. But Logan is a problem solver, and I appreciate that. The curse, I mean, isn't actually, like, Angel having sex, because Angel does have sex several times on his own show, and Mm -hmm. he doesn't lose his soul. Including with somebody that he does care about. And it couldn't, God forbid, be that it's plot convenient and they don't care about consistency. Well, I think I think on Angel, they figure out that Angel can have sex because those are not his, quote fingers, true loves. He holds his little baby son in his arms and he does not lose his soul. I brought that up many times too, so yeah. Try not to peek too soon, MC. We're not going to get to that for a while. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the other thing about this scene is that it sh- this is one of the first times we really see how much of a dork burger Angel is. <laughs> True. Yeah. He really is an awkward dork that I love. They start writing him as the, I think for me, it's the moment where they're hugging and the heart comment. <laughs> oh, I know. But it, that, that whole, and David's really good, like as good as he is playing evil, he is also really good at playing awkward and just not able to interact socially. But yeah. that whole... You are talking about your father, right? <laughs> it was really funny. Yeah. And Buffy, do not make daddy kink jokes. Do not. No. Yeah. 
Especially with the themes of this episode, don't do that. This is the episode that I wrote my one and only fanfic about. Really? My one and only fanfic. It was not a shipper fic. It was a Buffy and Giles fic. It was Buffy and Giles going to the ice show. I was going to ask that. Okay, so And there was a whole section about Elia Kulik, right? The, the skater that was super popular in the 90s. <laughs> and like, it's really terrible. And I know where to find it, but I will not tell anyone where to find it. You know, it's mildly touching and badly written. Mildly touching, badly written dibs my memoir. Thank you. i because for me rewatching this i rewatched a couple of times because i'm going to the show with y'all but also just speeding ahead rewatching the show anytime i could make a hamilton joke in this episode i did just singing at my tv really how come helpless oh helpless yes there we go see i'm not going to sing because i'm not going to i am our valued listeners to that what (laughs) okay then (laughs) okay yeah (laughs) in the second scene we get buffy and giles with the, the crystal thingies and i want to know why is faith allowed to do what she wants like if buffy were to just like disappear her we saw it at the end of last season if buffy disappears like giles like goes looking for her so we have these you know um unannounced walkabouts from faith and giles just doesn't like go looking yeah. for her. And, and as far we, I mean, like we haven't heard anything about these walkabouts before. This is just coming to come out out of nowhere, right? Well, we have had mention of Faith like disappearing or whatever. No, oh, have we? Okay. Part of me is trying to explain it as Giles doesn't want Faith around right now because he needs to focus on Buffy, and like Faith could be used as backup uh, for Buffy during this whole thing. Mm-hmm. So it's it works out better to only have the one Slayer around. I also did come up with a theory that if Faith is older than Buffy, mm-hmm. which we have suggested, Faith knows what's coming. Yeah. So Or she doesn't, because if she's older, maybe... She wasn't called until after she turned 18. I think they probably would have still done it to her. You think? Yeah. Yeah. Because that means they would have done it to her, like, literally out of the door. Either when she, out of the door or when she was a potential, because I kind of also get the impression that Faith had some training as a potential. Well, she had a watcher. She did have a watcher that she was close to. So, I mean, it's possible it wasn't a lot of training, but maybe like a year or so. We do see later on in season seven that Buffy does a version of this with the potentials. Okay, so as I'm watching through this season and really looking at it, I am now of a mind that Faith is probably younger than Buffy and doesn't know that this is going to happen. So I don't, like, I'm mixed either way. Like, they never say for sure. So, I don't know. They had to have Faith out of the way. And plus, it just shows again that how Giles, about my girl. How Giles treats Buffy and how Giles treats Faith are entirely different. Yeah. How she, you know, Buffy's like, I hate being the good one. And it's like, you're the mm. one that Giles actually cares about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm sorry. I love Giles. He literally does not give a shit about Faith. No, he doesn't. I get the, I get the impression there's a mutual antipathy there. In, in that, like, I'm sure Faith is so not about training. Well, I think on the surface... Faith is like, I don't care, whatever, I'm, you know, a lone wolf, I just want to be on my own. But Mm -hmm. she does express later on 
that the idea that if Giles had been her watcher, that maybe nothing that happens would have actually happened. And if you look at her actions, I don't think the mayor would have been as successful in his attempts at a relationship with her had she not been seeking that approval and that guidance. And, you know, she seeks it from Angel later on. And I, I, I yeah, I'm with MC on this. I, I think Faith's automatic reaction is to be like, I don't care because it's the way to protect me because I'm mm-hmm. sad and damaged and nobody is taking care of me. Yeah, I mean, Giles could have taken care of her. I mean, Giles could have invested in her and she wouldn't have mm-hmm. been susceptible, mm-hmm. as susceptible to the mayor. I think she still would have been yeah. slightly because, you know. But yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, Giles fucks that up. He does. Yeah. And I love him. Mm-hmm. But I am totally willing, especially in this episode, to be like, Giles, you're fucking up. Like, you're fucking sexy, but you're fucking up. We love Giles, but he's still human and capable of making mistakes. And I do think that Faith is one of his big mistakes. Mm-hmm. Agreed. And then this episode. And this episode <laughs> breaks my heart. Like, I was just, like, heartbroken through. Like, when he pulls out mm. the crystals and stuff, because I know what's happening, I'm like, oh, God, don't do it. Yeah. Don't do it. And yes. And Yes. Well, I think Giles is torn between. I mean, this—that's what this episode is about. Is about his his. It's Giles centric, and it's in a way, even though it's a Buffy birthday episode. But he's torn between his duty and his love for Buffy. Yeah, you know. Oh, yeah. definitely. It's it's a yeah. hard decision to make, and he he definitely firmly makes it by the end. But yeah, and I I know I've mentioned that before. <laughs> is that Giles still at this point is really has this thing about, and I think it's partially because of his his straying from the fold in his youth, is that now he's very much married to being a Watcher and being part of the Watcher's Council, even though they treat him horribly. But clearly, I mean, this is the episode where they just go too far and he just goes, oh, that's it. Fuck it. And of course they fire him, but you know. (laughs) But I mean, like, even after this, Giles is still a Watcher. And we will get more into that in later Mm -hmm. episodes. Like, we do see him with Wesley and he is still acting as a Watcher. And throughout season four, he does do that whole thing of, oh, Buffy, you no longer need a Watcher. But he's he's still there for her and he's still doing Yeah, he does that for like five minutes during the first episode in The Freshman. And then he's like, no, I'm coming after her. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's the thing. He's... He will continue to be Buffy's watcher in the good senses of being a watcher. Not so much in the sense of being a watcher the way the council wants a watcher. Basically the way he has been a watcher to her since episode six. Mm-hmm. Because like for the, in the beginning he tried to hold up being a regular watcher. But then they ended up becoming really close and it ended he still has the duty of being a watcher but he's not i almost want to compare it to how do i put this somebody who has been like in a religion like a catholic who after they end up leaving but they still believe in it so they follow the faith Mm. rather than the religion which is kind of what giles does where he still believes in the watcher's ideals but he doesn't believe in the dogma that they set out. Well, wow, that's a really great analogy. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I was going to say that, yes, this is sort of Giles centric, but it's really, I really wish that they had given a little more time to his emotional journey because it's him walking mm-hmm. and going, Travers, don't do this. I think this is a mistake. And then this is really a Buffy centric episode about her journey mm-hmm. and her not having the powers. Obviously, Giles is very much in there and their relationship is really important, but I really wish he'd gotten a little more 
But then, you know, I've been saying that they've really set up this, like, beautiful relationship. I've said over and over again, oh, my God, they love mm-hmm. each other so much, and he loves her so much, and it's all going to fall to shit here. So they have yeah, they right. have sort of prepped us um, doing some long-term yeah, yeah. prepping. Definitely. I feel like Giles has been doing that thing where you have two things that are kind of at odds, but you keep doing both of them, even as long as you can somehow compartmentalize them. And this is the episode where his loyalty to the Watcher's Council be- simply becomes completely uncom- incompatible with his mentoring of Buffy. So after the scene with the crystals, which I unfortunately did not have time to look up if the crystals actually oh. have those same meanings in real life but you know what i'm gonna bet they don't because shitty i be (laughs) magic and then buffy ends up going patrolling and the vampire gets the best of her because buffy's feeling dizzy and seeing terror on buffy's face is horrifying this whole episode is sarah is incredible she's so good when when later on and we'll talk about it when she's looking at the grounding stone just the blankness on her face. First of all, what mm. makes her really good is the Buffy bot. But oh my, she's just, there's nothing there. It's amazing. And of course, we'll see another vampire attack Buffy with her own stake later on in Fool for mm-hmm. Love. One who was a little more successful than this one. But yeah, I mean, that moment where that vampire is like turned the stake on her, it's really scary because we've spent, in the first episode, we have our expectations turned around on you know the helpless blonde running away from evil and so we've spent two and a half seasons at this point being conditioned that you know Buffy's the hero Buffy can take care of anything and in this beginning it's like this random vampire that's getting the drop on her and she looks so scared and that it's just it's it's so unnerving yeah and then when we come back from the credits and buffy is wondering like what the heck is going on you know she's throwing the knives and they're not working out i do wonder why the heck she's throwing knives in the middle of the library in the morning Well, we wonder frequently what the fuck they're doing in the middle of the library. The the scene with the vampire, though, that just hit me. You know, I've been complaining for, you know, weeks about how people on this show don't just stake vampires right away. They feel they have to kick and punch them for five minutes before doing <laughs> that. And this is like a total inversion because the vamp is like trying to stake Buffy. Why doesn't he just sink his teeth into her neck? <laughs> he spends all this time doing this thing that's totally ridiculous <laughs> well there might be some overconfidence there and there might be some like i'm gonna stab you with your own steak and then drink the blood out of the hole that i maybe yeah, i don't know it's a vampire okay <laughs> i just think it's funny that it's, it's it's an exact inversion of the problem that i've been having with all the fight scenes yeah uh, i don't know uh, and by the way does buffy really know where cornavac is apparently i don't know where cornavac <laughs> is like, i don't either she said it and i was like i should look that up i don't know <laughs> uh, in my head canon that was something that they talked about in her last geography class so it's like fresh in her head <laughs> Buffy being so disturbed by the idea of losing her powers is definitely something that is new for Buffy. Because Mm -hmm. we've seen in the past, like, the first thing she'll think of, like, when Kendra comes in, it's all like, maybe I can be a normal girl. And here she actually does have the opportunity to be a normal girl. And, like, well, we'll talk about it a bit later. But for Buffy, it's really 
being a slayer is so much of who she is. It's like she just can't deal with the idea of not being a slayer. I I think that she wants to be a normal girl with powers. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Because it's that cognitive dissonance of like, I want to be a normal girl, but once you take away my powers, it's super disturbing because it is sort of not who she is, but it's kind of who she is. I don't know how to like, you know, explain that well, Mm -hmm. but it's like, yes, I want to be a normal girl. I want to go on dates. I want to do all those things without all the danger, but I also don't want to be helpless. Like, you know what I mean? Especially when it's like very sudden like this. It's, you know... (laughs) Anyway, I and and that brings me to talking about the mechanics of what's happening to her. She's not just powerless; she's useless. Like <laughs> in a, it's. I, I mean, it baffles. Like I guess that's the point, but they're not even putting a normal person in a situation. Mm-hmm. Like they are making her completely useless because we've seen over and over again with the Scoobies that people can stand if they if they have the wherewithal and essentially the training and the knowledge can Mm -hmm. can stand their own when it comes to hold their own when it comes to fighting the forces of evil she can't even open a jar yeah i mean like we see it later when she's uh fighting with cordelia's semi-boyfriend where she can't even like yeah stop him from harassing cordelia right because buffy even when she's i mean she we see her aerobicizing right we see her actually working out cardio and things like that so you it would stand to reason that she's even without the powers a relatively in shape young woman yeah right and this is yeah yeah, like muscle relaxants and adrenal suppressant so like so you're not going to be able to have that adrenaline push to to you know when you get scared or when you get like just Mm -hmm. as normal people being able to do more in that moment of like panic the fight or flight she has no ability to even have that because that's being suppressed Mm -hmm. as well which seems unfair yeah we will Mm -hmm. definitely talk more about we'll talk more about the drug once we find out more about it but also i to andy's point i just wanted to say in addition i think you're right she wants to be a normal girl with powers she wants to have the powers but be in a normal situation and and i think part of the problem she's having here is not only has she is she losing her sense of self because who she's been for the last two and a half three years has just disappeared it's not her choice and i mean she does mention later on it's like how can i not have these powers and know all of the things that i do i that's not exactly what she says but that's kind of like summing it up she she knows what goes bump in the night and she because she's buffy she wants to do something about it and can't buffy you know giles kind of waves it off as maybe it's the flu And he's so bad at this. Oh, really? I don't think he's bad at it. I think he's... Oh, he's terrible at it. He's just like... That Buffy doesn't twig that there's something going on with Giles amazes me. Because he's just like, oh, yeah, it's no big deal. What? Because she trusts him implicitly. Yep, that's it. So even if he's being slightly transparent, which I, I actually disagree and don't think he is, she trusts him and would never think that he would do something that this would be about him. So she's not realizing that he's being shady. Uh, not only does she trust him, she wants it to be the flu. She doesn't want anything mm. else to be wrong with her. And certainly we did see in Killed by Death 
that if Buffy gets the flu, it can really take her down. Slayer's strength isn't going to stop diseases. That at this point, I, I don't think so much it's it's obvious that Giles... Is, but the, later, when she comes back, she's like, no, really, something's going on. And he's really dismissive. That point, I'm just like, really? Like, I know she trusts him, but like his reaction is just so out of character that... I'm like, really? Mm. You don't know that something's going on? You may not. I mean, obviously, you're Mm. not going to think Giles is drugging me, (laughs) but something's going on. And it Mm. it, it just seems so obvious to me, even even if you say that, yeah, she trusts him. It's he's just really there is at least one instance where I just went, no, that's so out of character for him to be this dismissive of it is just but maybe that's just me. Well, yeah. Buffy does believe Giles at the time, and so she's she all she says is that you know she's worried that getting the flu will keep her from going to the ice show with her dad, and then she mm. tells the gang about her plans to go to the ice show with her dad. And Buffy's so cute when she's excited about things. I cannot be get yeah. I cannot get behind that sweater though with that like unnecessary freaking scarf sweater like. No, just no. You know what I can get behind? Willow's weird chartreuse with a side of mustard. No, no, I I no. That's like the worst color combination ever on Willow. I was like, this is the worst. What's up with the puke yellow tights? Is what I put in my note. They are incredible. What I cannot get behind, and this is actually my big problem with David Fury's writing in this episode. I don't think David Fury knows how to write Oz. Because Oz says some really shitty things in this episode that are so out of character for Oz. Yes. Like the that's girly and no, it's not it's not lame because it's ice. And I'm just like, what he would it, It's water. ice is cool. It's like water, but it's not. Yeah. And I'm like, that is like the least Oz line that Oz ever says. Okay, but Seth's delivery of it's water, but it's not is still golden. His delivery was fine, but I don't like the way David He writes, writes Oz like a no. stoner instead of like this just like really yeah. calm, collected, mm-hmm. laconic, thoughtful, thoughtful yeah. taciturn yeah. dude that has funny things to say. Yeah, he, he writes Oz like a stoner. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I think you're right. I can totally get behind the ice show, though. Ice yeah, show, yeah. yay! That fun. would be fun. Let's all go to a nice show. It's also some nice continuity because we know that Buffy enjoys figure skating, ice skating. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Although I don't think we've ever heard that Hank takes her to the ice show for her birthday every year. Until we did now, not. But we've only ever had one of Buffy's birthdays, and she mm. was. We were preoccupied with a lot of other stuff. So yeah, maybe the true. ice show yeah. happened like before her birthday or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I really should go to an ice show sometime. I haven't been in years. Don't throw up on Snoopy. <laughs> no, no, I know. Well, or Woodstock. I, or Woodstock, yeah. No, oh, well, Woodstock. I was a skater. Oh. So, oh. Um, I think I think this came up in the earlier episode. But yes, no, I was a figure skater in my youth. So I do actually um, appreciate I bet you were an adorable figure skater. I mean, you're amazing. I was <laughs> a terrible figure skater. <laughs> oh, okay. Is it like, all right. But, but, I, but I enjoyed it. I mean, I didn't do it because I was going to be a figure skater. I did it because it was an after school activity that I enjoyed. I've been on an ice skating rink once and nearly Yeah, me died. too. It was bad. <laughs> oh, so. that's not the way to do it. I'm a very bad Canadian and do not know how to skate very well. I can ski, though. Don't they kick you out if you don't know how to skate? Yeah. It's because you're half American. (laughs) My American half is my lower half, and so that's why (laughs) I I can't ice skate. (laughs) But Buffy's all excited about going to the ice show, and that leads into a scene of Buffy going home, and... (sighs) 
flowers Thank from you him. Yeah. Buffy, I yeah. wish the men in your life would stop disappointing you. Yes. That's what this episode so is really much. all about. It's Buffy's father figures letting her down. Joyce, don't read Hank's note to Buffy. <laughs> I would if if I were. I would. Well, I mean, I'm wondering if if she did. Uh, or... She did. She says, oh, she did. oh it's all in the note. Uh, she says, it's um, all in the note. Well, I speaking as someone who, like, you know, is involved in a divorced household <sighs> with kids. Okay. Yeah, you're going to do that. If if uh, if yes. you're Joyce and you were married to Hank and you know what Hank's like, even though you're trying to protect your daughter from it, yeah, you're going to be like, okay, what do you have to say and why is your sorry ass not following through on what you said you were going to follow through on? Okay. And how am I going to prepare that child for what they may see in that note? For sure. No, I, I agree with you, Logan. 100%. Yeah. Okay. Though I personally feel like instead of being like, I'll see if I can get someone to cover for me at work. Joyce should have already, like, depending on, like, how long has passed between the flowers getting there and Buffy getting home. I, mm-hmm. If I were Joyce, I would have already had that in place. And it's like, you mm-hmm. and me will go. Yeah. I want to, I want to, uh, I don't know. Part of me wants to be like, well, maybe Joyce knew that this is such a thing for Buffy with her dad that maybe she'd be so frustrated and upset she wouldn't want to go at all. Uh, or maybe Joyce just assumed she was going to ask Willow. She did try to burn her at the stake in the previous episode, so... <laughs> really funny thing it's because i know what happens in later seasons i started to think of the logistics of this yearly tradition between them and how dawn fits into it oh, interesting. <laughs> ah. i was like do buffy and hank still go by themselves or does dawn go with them i think that they go by themselves i think it's probably there i mean i know with my dad he did different stuff with my brother than he did with me and that was fine and now we weren't too girls you know fighting over the affection yeah. of one dad mm-hmm. it was a my brother and my dad did different you know what i mean so but yeah. and maybe dawn just doesn't like skating that's possible. or doesn't want to hang out with her stupid <clears throat> big sister but yeah it is one of those weird because mm. i mean we dawn. literally never see dawn interact with hank true hmm no. Oh, but yeah, my notes for this scene is seriously just Hank is an asshole. Hank is an asshole. But we knew yeah. that. Hank is the worst. And I think this is like the last time like that there's ever any mention of Buffy having plans with Hank. Hmm. That's true. I mean, she'll mention him throughout, I think, Joyce's illness a little bit, but... But it's never anything about him helping out. No, it's, out. it's about it's... the direct opposite, about no. how dad couldn't be... It's about him not he helping out. Bother. I believe the term Buffy uses is living the cliche. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Sure does. Because he's like in Spain with his secretary. Secretary, yeah. Bad. (sighs) And we go from bad to worse because we're introduced to Quentin Traver and the rest of the Watchers. Travers is the worst. He is the worst. Well, I gotta give them credit, though. They cast Harris Eulin, so right away you know he's evil. True. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I saw Harris Eulin at the theater within the past year. I think I, I don't think I told him. You're really good at being evil. But, was he playing uh, evil in what you saw him in? No, no, no. I just, he was in the audience. I ran into him. He was like in my aisle. <laughs> uh, the other two watchers are played by Dominic Keating and David Hayden Jones. Okay, I'm going to have to go back and watch that. It's Baby Catch. Yeah, uh, both of these actors have gone on to do other things. It, I mean, they they do basically nothing here except die. <laughs> <laughs> That's what they do. They die and they're British. Yes. And and are vaguely evil, which is, I think, like, that's like the and British trifecta. I, 
Yeah, you know, and they use British. really long. I, mean, I, I think they probably yeah. work a lot because they're British actors working in the U.S. primarily, and so it's like you need random British dude number six, but don't want to fly someone over. Then great, let's get that guy. Yeah, but uh, Dominic Keating will later on go on to play Malcolm Reed on Star Trek Enterprise, and David Hayden Jones will play Arthur Ketch on Supernatural. Ooh, I'm yeah, really far behind y'all. He 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 actually he plays one of the men of letters. So he basically on Supernatural plays yeah. a watcher. Huh. That's a weird typecasting. <laughs> he also has a lovely voice. He released a single recently. It's not my kind of music, but he's got a lovely voice. But yeah, the watchers are creepy and we don't know that they're watchers yet. We just know that they're sinister and they're hanging out at a place called the Sunnydale Arms. And they have a really big box. And they have a really big box, yeah. What's in the box? What I mean, I guess because of birthday presents, but there's in like two now Buffy birthday episodes, there's been something evil in a box. Yeah, and um, Angel even refers to it. Angel does refer to an arm in a box, yeah. <laughs> and then we get to the heartbreaking scene of Buffy and Giles, and she's, oh my god. I think it really is telling about what Buffy wants for her birthday, that instead of it being taking Joyce out of the equation, it's it's she doesn't immediately go to Willow and say, hey, Willow, you want to go to the ice show, even though you puked on Snoopy that one time? Woodstock. Woodstock. I'm sorry, Woodstock. Woodstock. <laughs> uh, she doesn't go straight to Willow and say, I, I want to go to, you know, why don't you go with me instead? Because that would be the natural person. She wants an experience, a father-daughter experience. So she asks, she oh, yeah. hints to Giles that, you know, he should take her. And that is very telling to me about what she wants. And he's being so deliberately and intentionally, he's... he's pulling himself back with such intention that it makes me want to rip out my heart and throw it somewhere. It's... Oh, I hate it. I don't know if it's intentional. I think almost like Giles is so distracted by this mm-hmm. horrible thing that he has to do that yeah. he can't concentrate on what Buffy is saying. And Buffy just is so sad because she wants Giles to offer she doesn't want to ask him. She's like, I want you to let me know that you feel the same way about me, please. <laughs> and it's awful. <laughs> and I remember the first time through this, I was freaked out because I'm like, oh my God, what happened to Giles? Did he go evil? What's happening here, right? Like, I know now what it is, but I'm first time through, mm-hmm. I was worried about what Giles' actual intentions were, especially with the freaking council being there that I'm like, <gasps> What's happening? He drugs her. And I mean, granted, like the drug is used very effectively in this episode. But I always thought that this drug was underutilized. I would have really liked to have seen like some bad guy, like try to get a hold of it to use it on, on Buffy. And the Watchers use it on are faith. Kind of bad guys. Use For it on faith. Sake. I end up mm-hmm. bringing it back in the Niazian prophecies because I did an episode where connor goes to jail for that whole like boarding goods store hostage situation and riley and kate walkley who was working with him show up and they're like okay you're like a super powered being who is not going to stay in jail so they actually used this drug on him it would keep him in, mm. in prison uh and then it turned out it was you know a plan by evil people yeah mm. i always thought this was underutilized i thought that you know it 
it it was it's like mm-hmm. very rich for you know exploitation. Am I the only one who's a little weirded out that Buffy apparently plans on bronzing Kendra's steak? No, oh, that's her steak. Sweet. No, Kendra well, it was Kendra. Yeah. Kendra it was gave it to right. her. It was. I don't know. Yeah, I I think it's sweet. I do too. It's like an it's like an honor okay. memory for their shared experience. Oh, poor Kendra. I'm just ready to be depressed this I whole know. episode. And from one poor girl to another because Buffy and Willow end up talking about Amy. Poor rat Amy. Oh, I know. And I'm like, yes. Willow, you are not working on it. She does not care. You are more interested in a habit trail than you are in actually de-ratting Amy. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. A person. A person who is her friend. And from what we saw in Gingerbread, part of her coven. Now, to be fair, habit trails are kind of cool. Truth. But, yeah. You can put them <laughs> up on the ceiling and stuff. Being a person is cooler than a habit trail. Right. Yeah. No, I... I never understood why Willow doesn't ask Giles for help, D-Rat, or he even offers. Like, okay, we gotta D-Rat Amy. I know I'm not, like, a super wizard or anything, but he knows spells, he knows magic, he knows research. Why didn't she be like, Giles, help me D-Rat Amy? But whatever, nobody really cares about Amy. And he should know someone who should be able to do this. What about Michael? Oh, poor Michael. Poor left behind Michael. Yeah, we could have brought Michael back. But we're... Yeah, Willow's just being her ass of a self, which will come up more later on. What? Uh, I'm sorry. You know, I have my problems with Willow. Kind of starting from now, I'm going to be less impressed with Willow as we go on. But do you know who I am impressed with? Cordelia yeah. fucking Chase. Yeah. <laughs> Cordelia's great. I okay. mean, like, that's... I just love that she starts beating on the guy. Like, and I don't think it's her actual beating on him that makes him go away. It's like the fact that she's just like, you know, I'm sure she didn't actually hurt him, but she all the same. Cordelia's actions from the very beginning just shows what kind of character Cordelia is because he is being very aggressive with her and she's just not putting up with anything that she's she is fighting against him. Even, like, when he starts to get physical with her, Cordelia is still fighting. There is just, she's completely strong. There is a recurring theme of, how can I put this? Like, women, what is the Margaret Atwood quote? A man's worst fear is that a woman will laugh at him. A woman's worst fear is that he'll kill her. I mean, I know Cordy's not in danger of being killed, but it's that kind of aggressive masculinity that Buffy and Cordelia in this situation deal with through this entire episode. Um, I think this is part one of that. Mm-hmm. But Cordelia is a badass, and I love her. Yes. Yeah, she handles it so great. Yeah. Yes. Like, I, I, yes. That's how I handle shit like that. I'm yeah. like, get the- No, it's so great that Buffy does her whole arm grab, which we have seen her do many times before, and it's always worked out in her favor. And the guy just fucking throws her. It's like, oh yeah. my god. What the fuck? Into a bench. Why is he not expelled? Like, I understand yeah. this is a... Wh- and then Cordelia just beats up the guy with her little fists, and oh, I love it. And yes, and then this, then Buffy realizes that something is really, really wrong, and she goes to Giles. And I think this is the scene David was talking about before, yeah. where Buffy is really concerned and terrified of not being the Slayer. And Giles, first of all, fuck you, Giles, for saying throw like a girl. Thank you. I know, I'm mad at Giles, too. It's rife this episode. I'm like, y'all, being being a normal girl doesn't, isn't 
like synonymous with being weak. Please yeah. stop at 1999. <laughs> I'm gonna maybe not defend Giles, but I I think he says it that way to specifically kind of get the get something across to Buffy that like it's 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 an ironic throw like a girl. I mm-hmm. I don't think he really means like oh you throw like a girl. He's like because he the way they say it is she's like I throw like he and he goes you like a girl and it's like I think he's trying he's making a very bad attempt at kind of in a way he's kind of making Buffy feel worse about what she's saying so that's not good either <laughs> but I don't I don't think yeah. he's he's trying to say I don't think he's trying to use the actual throw like a girl statement as such uh, it's it still comes off as a little. Toxic it's masculinity. Still not None of this is good. <laughs> and, and he can't look yeah. her in the eye, right? And and and, and Sarah no. is Buffy is looking at him with so much trust in her eyes that like she's certain that Giles will fix it. Like her look mm-hmm. in her face is like, I know that that Giles will fix this or figure out what it is, and the look of trust is just heartbreaking. And the fact he can't, he can't look her in yeah. the eye. Because he knows he's broken that trust. No, no. His whole, her whole body language, the look in her eyes, it's all, it screams, help me. Mm-hmm. And you're the one person that can help me. Yeah. Mm. But Giles is obviously disturbed by all of this because the next scene is Giles and the Watchers together. I have said this mm-hmm. in previous podcasts and I will mention it again because this is the episode where it's relevant. This whole thing, the cruciamentum, is so... So, to get rid of the old slayers. Mm -hmm. To get rid of them. When Mm -hmm. they stop listening. When they're no longer manageable. Absolutely. Exactly, yeah. Because, I mean, we see this happening. Buffy and Faith are both 18. Like, let's say that they're the same age, like, separated by a couple of months. And these are the slayers that we see go off on their own. And we later on see with, like, Nikki Wood. Nikki Wood was very independent. So, you have, like, these 15... 14, 15, 16-year-old girls who are very malleable to older men and, yes, you know, will, you know, become warriors for them. But by the time they become adults, they're going to have some fucking questions. And opinions. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no. As they come. Yeah, right, right. Far be it from women to have opinions. Um, Yeah, it's you are like, what's beyond 100 percent correct, MC? Because that's what you are. (laughs) Um, you you can't with what they do it's not like a military operation so they can't instill that sense of obedience um and and so once they start actually becoming autonomous people with like fully developed brains and stuff they're they're no longer as we see willing to do the council's bidding and Mm -hmm. so they gotta die and if a vampire yeah. won't kill him in the in the in the line of duty, then they gotta do it themselves. And based on the way that Travers yeah. speaks about Buffy, cool. he never says her name. By the way, the child, your charge, yeah, your charge, the child, the you know, call, mm-hmm. girl. He calls her girl, and I know, mm-hmm. yes, yeah, she is a girl. She's in high school, but the diminishing, you know, of saying, "Oh, the girl." Um, he never, he mm-hmm. never says Buffy's name. Ever. He dehumanizes her because I don't know if it's in this episode. I think it might be in Checkpoint where he's like the Watcher's Council is fighting a war against evil and the Slayer is the tool that they fight the war. Mm-hmm. Well, Giles says it in this episode. He says, you're waging a war. She's fighting it. Yeah. 
to cut to the heart of it. I mean, this episode, and, and we will have this confirmed over and over again as the series goes on, but everything about the Watcher's Council is shit. Yep. <laughs> I mean, first of all, they need either an engineer or someone with half a fucking brain, because their way of restraining Kralik is crap. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> it is like, I, no, I'm sorry, that's just, no. When Kralik gets out, is Travers ever concerned about what might happen to the anybody? Rest of Sunnydale? No, 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 no. It never comes up, and it's like it's complete. Uh, <laughs> sorry, I'm now I'm having an aneurysm now. I am going to bring something up. Certainly, people have talked about Joss's obsession with superpowered girls who are you know broken in some way. But if you look at Buffy and the Watcher's Council versus River and the Blue Sun group, mm. there is very much kind of like the same attitude with them. So you have the the Watcher's Council who are using Buffy essentially as a weapon. And then later on in Firefly, you get the Blue Sun group who have crafted River into a weapon. So it's almost like Joss decided to take the whole dynamic and crank it up to 11 by having her River be tortured and broken down. And put into space. And in space. The other interesting thing that we find out in this episode is that vampires can have chemical imbalances. Mm. Right? Which is interesting. Yeah, like we have seen disturbed vampires before, but Drusilla's problems were all handcrafted through torture by Angel. Mm-hmm. And Kralik, while there does seem to be some external sources to his some problems, trauma. He, mm-hmm. he definitely suffered trauma through his mother. But... Yeah, don't take medication like that unless there's a chemical imbalance involved. Right. Yeah, there's clearly something wrong with him physically that he needs the medication. Which is something we've never seen before. And let's Mm -hmm. be honest, we'll never see again. Yeah. (laughs) The only time we're going to address mental illness in this show is to make a villain. Great. And that's not how pills work for a chemical imbalance. You're not just like, pills, pills, I need them right now. Like, that's just, like, not how those pills work. Unless they're, like, a sedative. That's yeah. not yeah. how pills anxiety work. It's, yeah. It, it, I mean, of course, it's completely unclear what exactly is wrong with Kralik. Right. So it's it's shooty eye beam mental illness. <laughs> I wish I had oh, a mental illness. <laughs> I was about to say, that's what I call my depression. <laughs> I <was just> like, <laughs> when I have a manic episode, I really wish I could shoot eye beams. That would be amazing. Well, that would be cool. <laughs> Oh, it's shooty all- I-beam. That's just going to be our new thing where it's everything is sh- shooty I-beam. Whatever. It's whatever, yeah. <laughs> it's great to see Jeff Cobert. I love Jeff Cobert, the actor playing. Um, he's so he's good. very good. He's always so great and so menacing. And he's just one of those character actors that I've been seeing. I remember him all the way back from like some episode of like, what's the one with Michael Landon where he walks the earth as an angel? Whatever. Oh, uh- I would have it. My mom loved that show. And I remember him from an episode. I remember him from an episode of like Little House on the Prairie. Like he's been around forever, and he's just super solid. And I just and they're going to bring him back. But like I just I I really I really enjoy Jeff Cooper. Yeah. He plays an excellent kangaroo human di- uh, hybrid. Oh, in uh, Tank Girl. 
Tank Girl. Oh, yeah, he yes. is in Tank Girl. Uh, he's really great He's in that. precious. Yeah. He's sweet in it. He's not a little monster. I know, which is great. Oh. It's a good, yeah, no, I, I enjoy Jeff Cobra a lot. And I'm always just like, I always know there's going to be like a good and sort of nuanced performance underneath all the whatever. So, um, yeah. Yay. Hey, Jeff Cobra, come on our podcast. Yeah. No, I do have to say, Kralik is, I think, one of my favorite one shot vampire yeah. characters. Yeah. He, he, because you get a personality from him. And he does his menacing in such a way that it makes, it's, if you, he does it in such a way that, and I don't know if this was Fury's intention when you talk about the helplessness people who present as female often feel existing in the world, but he plays his character in such a way that it evokes those feelings of that weird mashup of dirty and fear and disgust that aggressive and, and, and yeah, aggressive masculinity and toxic masculinity can make you feel existing in the world. He does it really well. I think Which, it's sort of like a, a proto um, Caleb in a way. Nathan Fillion's character it, I in season that. seven, he's got that same Absolutely. kind of like yeah. put you on edge with that, yeah, total toxic masculinity thing. And I think that is mm-hmm. a theme in this episode. I don't know if Fury meant that, but it mm-hmm. it comes out in a reading of it for sure. I think he does a wonderful job, you know, especially during his when he's talking to Joyce about his mother. Mm. Yeah, it's like we will like, get to that scene. Then, uh, but but just just to speaking of his performance, he does this wonderful job of being clearly unbalanced, but not overplaying it. He really hits the mark. We only see him briefly in this scene. And then we move mm. on to the gang trying to figure out what's going on with Buffy. And we get another scene of Oz being a little bit off from who Oz is. But I do actually enjoy the kryptonite conversation between Xander yeah. and Oz. Um, it's, I'm going to disagree with Xander about the kryptonite, but okay. What? Well, okay. So basically, so yes, green kryptonite will kill Superman mm-hmm. eventually. It will weaken yeah. him first. It will first weaken him and then kill him. Though the, it's true that there is a kryptonite that is specifically for taking away powers. Oh, that's gold. Yes. That is the gold no, kryptonite. Oz is correct about the gold. And of course, Xander brings up red, which is always fun because that's always the one where Superman turns into a guy with an ant head and turns him into weird stuff. And But they don't bring up white kryptonite, which I believe only affects plant life. Yeah, well, there's like 50 billion types of kryptonite. I knew you'd know this, David. Back in the day, there were only like five. There is the the ones mentioned, there's the white, and I believe there was rainbow. Does that make Superman gayer? That's for Pride Day. (laughs) No, it it doesn't, but it should. I want that. (laughs) Now there's like this whole range of kryptonite, and it's like, what? And I believe, interesting, other fun fact, I believe that Kryptonite is one of the things in Superman mythos that comes not from the comic book. It came from the, but radio from the radio show. show. Yep. Oh, yeah, DC's really not my forte at all. Yeah, I'm a cat girl, not a Superman girl. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of all over the place. Even though I grew up with Stan Lee in my building, I was always agnostic. David, who are you? <laughs> where did where did y'all find David? For fuck's sake. <laughs> I found him at Gallifrey one, um, but as with most <laughs> things in what in life, I swing both ways. So I am both Marvel and DC. Yes, I am. In fact, this week I am finally starting to read DC Rebirth. I do love that the gang is trying to help. They are trying to help. They, we don't see a lot of them in this episode. No, we don't. There really isn't a lot of them. Um, 
for the little bits they see, they are very helpful. I do have a question. What's up with Willow's toque? Oh, the hat thing on her head? Yes. They wanted to let y'all know it was cold. <laughs> in the library? In a hat with a pom-pom. And, and, and probably an excuse to really hammer home that, uh, that uh, Little Red Riding Hood bit so that they could put Buffy in that red coat, which is an excellent coat. Right it now. is an excellent yes. coat. And I'm a bit confused about Willow being really encouraging about Buffy not having powers. Like, I mean, I get that it's like the best friend thing to do to make yeah. her feel better. But why would Willow not want Buffy to have powers? Like, bu- Willow tr- starts to say, you know, like, I mean, there are some good parts to this. And it's like, what good parts? The scene was cut. Is that where you're going, Andy? I was going to. David Fury hasn't figured out how to write the gang yet, and he'll he'll get better <laughs> I, I, at it. I get that. He'll get better at it. I actually really enjoy David Fury a lot of the time, but at this point, he hasn't learned to write the rest of the gang yet. I, and as I want to do, I'll, I'll default to defending Willow. Yeah, I think it's it's definitely her attempt to comfort her friend but also the scene was cut i can't remember the actual discussion but buffy does go off to list a bunch of things that would be good about <laughs> something along the lines of like shopping without having to worry about if the clothes will get ruined because of blood and mayhem or something along those lines <laughs> it ultimately is like a, a funny little scene but they they cut it mm-hmm. so. Which I think is very much the scene's detriment because it's, yeah. it doesn't mm. really make any sense. Because, uh, I mean, it's not even me be trying to be mean to Willow. It's just <laughs> I don't understand where Willow is coming from. It seems out of character for her. Mm. Mm. I, I think more than anything, Andy's probably right. Fury's still trying to get some footing. I think it's a combination of that. And I think it's just the I think what. The intention is that Willow's just trying to be a good friend and trying to find the silver lining. You know, you remember when they when they were having the intervention about Buffy not revealing that Angel was back yeah. some episodes ago? And she's like, Every, people aren't using me, f- you phrases or me phrases. And like, she, she really does. She's she, basically, she's like, I want everyone to be happy. <laughs> and that's, I think that's where that's coming from. Yeah. Uh. But the scene moves on to uh, the uh, Blair, I believe is the watcher's name, with Kralik. And Blair is not smart. Nope. No. Stupid. Nope. Nope. You deserve to be As we're going to see with Wesley coming up soon, he's going to say that he's killed a vampire under controlled conditions. Like, these watcher (laughs) juniors have no real training. No. That's a good point. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be David here for a minute. This is the Ooh. stupidest vampire to pick for this experiment. Not experiment, this test, right? You could have picked just like, mm-hmm. like the vampire that needs the fucking pills. Like, I know this is a test and I know you want to yeah. be hard, but like, this is like, okay, this is what I put in my notes. The watchers do in three steps, which could easily be done in one step. Like, why do you want the vampire with the pills? Why, you know, this is going to be so much extra work for you. Like, why bother with this particular vampire? Because they want to kill Buffy. Do you know who is the perfect vampire to use for this test? Angelos? William the fucking bloody. Truth. Mm. Yeah, but he keeps failing. (laughs) (laughs) But, but he has a track record. He is the only vampire we know that has killed multiple slayers and one of the watchers has written a thesis on him so they you know 
Spike mm-hmm. is obviously important to the council. Doesn't make sense how in school hard Giles doesn't know who the fuck he is. But seriously, I think that yeah. they they pick an unstable vampire. Well, what they should be doing is picking a strong vampire instead. And Kralik does not come off as particularly strong. Maybe they're shooting for unpredictable. Mm. Uh, that's well, I, I don't know. Yeah. I I mean, that's the only thing I can come up with. Very, very good job of being me, Andy. I'm David, I'm, you can be me. Okay. Uh, I, I do have a question. When you're turning someone into a vampire, they have to drink your blood, yeah, right? They do. Yes. How the hell does Kralik manage this? He's got one arm free. (laughs) (laughs) Listen. Please explain the mechanics of this to me. (laughs) Don't make us think. (laughs) (laughs) For sake, I have no idea. Maybe he cut his arm on the jagged edges of the box and like (laughs) shove. He's holding him by the neck. I'm in a box. Wait, no, fuck. He is. Hold on. <laughs> Maybe he bit his tongue and bit his own tongue and like French kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> no. You can no, always count on Logan to come up with like a really great explanation for like things that can't be explained. Mm-hmm. I accept that headcanon. Headcanon accepted. Yeah, French kissing works. Yeah. Yep. yep. Bingo. And, and I would much rather talk about that than this next scene with Buffy and Angel because, oh my god. <laughs> yeah. I've only got one comment on this scene. I have a lot oh, of comments on this scene. Oh. <laughs> my, my, only, my only comment is, what kind of utensil would a Spordelia be? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I thought it was like a mold, a specific kind of mold. Spordelia. <laughs> well, I just, I, I, I was going spork Yeah, here, yeah no, so. I can totally <laughs> yeah, as... I have feelings. And here are they Same. are. Why would Angel think that a book of poetry would be what Buffy wants? Right? Like, get her a sweater. Get her some cute freaking shoes. But, like, I would swoon over a book of poetry when I was that age. But, like, that is not Buffy's jam. Okay. It may not be Buffy's jam, but, and again, I don't know if they were going this deep. But canonically, what he gives her is sonnets from the Portuguese. Yes. Which is good. Which, is which good. Sonnet 43 is their relationship in a nutshell. I'm not going to, like, abuse it by reading it, but maybe we could put it in the show notes and if anybody wants to go check it out. But it ends with, I shall but love thee better after death. I know that poem. Oh. I know, I know yeah, that poem. It's, it, is, it, is, it is Angel's feelings for Buffy wrapped up in a neat little package. Um, it may, it may have been intentional, that one specifically, but yeah. See, and I just assumed that it was, he gave her what he wanted to give her and really wasn't thinking about what she would want. Oh, I'm giving him some credit. (laughs) Well, I agree with Andy on this. And actually that I think that Angel's gift to Buffy perfect is perfectly in line with what I've been saying for the rest of the season in that Buffy and Angel's interactions throughout the season are all just lining up to show how they do not function as a as a couple because this is it is a thoughtful presence and certainly i would like this but this is not something that buffy would enjoy this is you know even though she's they try to play it off like buffy's just worried about not having her slayer strength i think that if 
everything were perfectly normal and Angel had given her this book, she would have been like, oh, this is so sweet. (laughs) Big smile. The last time Buffy was interested in poetry was because she was trying to impress Owen, which is not to say Buffy's not smart. We know she's super smart. She's super capable, but she's not poetry people. Yeah. No. No. I mean, and, and, you know, it's a great book. I mean, I love Browning Sonnets from the Portuguese. It's a, it's a great volume of poetry. It's, it's, it's a classic for a reason. I, I would be like swoony, swoony McSwoonerson, but I was like dark <laughs> brooding, like, you know, gothy teenager. I'm not Buffy with, you know, how she is. We do see mm-hmm. Buffy interact well with school at times, but it's never with English. She That's not her mm. bag. She's interested in like history and stuff. Psychology. That, that She's good in her psychology. psychology class. Yeah. She does make a joke about English season four when she's going in and taking whatever that colonel or general's name hostage to get Riley and Oz out. The Burroughs or some, Burrows, yeah, something. Burrows, and she's Burrows, like, was yeah. I the only person awake in English that day? Yeah. So I just, I, I don't, I, I, I'm, I'm giving Angel credit here and I'm, I'm taking it as him telling her how he feels about her in the mm. broody, yeah. gothic way. Okay. I, I can definitely see both sides for sure. Like, I mean, it's definitely, oh, yes. I think yeah. Angel's trying to find a meaningful, <clears throat> loving present. But also, it's not yeah. a present that a thoughtful it's a thoughtful present, present but it's in, not one designed to really. That's something she's gonna put on her shelf, pull it out, and be like, "Oh, Angel got me this," and maybe read one no, poem. She she's not gonna be like, "Wow, this is a killer new pair of boots he got me. I'm gonna wear these every day." But she literally mm-hmm. drops it when he, Kayla attacks yeah. her, and like the next scene, it's gone. It's gone. <laughs> I don't think she went back for it. <laughs> And I think we are spending so much time talking about this present because we don't want to talk about the other big portion of this scene where Buffy is feeling bad about not having her powers and Angel reveals that he saw Buffy when she was being called and oh my god, the pedo talk. Because she's she's like 15 at the time. 15? Yeah, mm-hmm. I think she was 15 when she... Well, because if she turned 17 in season two, then she was obviously 16 in season one. And everything at Henry had taken place the year before. So she was 15. She was 15. Angel was... Yeah, I know he's like 200 something. But physically, he was 26. So like even taking the vampire stuff out of it, he was 26 years old. That uh, Physically 26. Lusting after a 15-year-old kid because he wanted to protect her heart. Fuck you, Angel. <sighs> All he sees her do is talking to her friends and eating a lollipop. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. How is she showing her heart? I mean, did he see some sort of like existential loneliness in her eyes from afar as he skulked in the shadows and checked out this 15-year-old? No, because she had no existential loneliness in her eyes at that point. She was Spordelia. And, <laughs> and if we recall Spordelia. that scene... From becoming part one, I believe they showed it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was one, one of the of becoming yeah. episodes with her hair in pigtails with the lollipop, and they make her look so young. And yeah, the way Which Angel looks talks about her, but the way Angel talks about her as someone to be protected, it's it's so creepy. It's Navikov. 
It's not cute. His, no, you see, he's he's a vampire, so he can see hearts. That's what it is. Also, he's a fucking creeper. <laughs> he is just... This is just, like, creepy as hell. It is just like... <laughs> it was... I mean, it was creepy as hell in Becoming. Yeah. But, like, getting to see Buffy hear about it and react to it, it's like, wow, this takes it to a whole new level. Yeah. What fun. Ugh. Well, I mean, also, you have to take into account the fact that I don't care what happens in Angel Season 4, which I know is weird to hear me say because I love Angel Season 4, but the whole idea of Angelus and Angel being two different people, that's bullshit because Angel is Angelus with a restraining bolt, basically. So all of that like creepy rapist stuff that Angelus has Angel has that in him. He just has something telling him not to do it. So the impulses mm. are still there. So Angel's a fucking creep. You know what? I regret defending him. He's just a bad gift giver. Oh, God. <laughs> Could we not? Ugh. Great. Angel has issues. Fun talk, guys. <laughs> I- I'm gonna just try and chalk this up to at the time, he was subsisting on rats, so he was not in a good place. <laughs> Being hungry makes you a pedophile. Have a Snickers! Yeah, that, 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 that must be what it is. I, oh, oh my god! god. <laughs> <laughs> the worst, you get a little pedo when you're hungry. Come on! <laughs> the worst Basically, basically this, this scene is a Snickers ad. Oh god. It is. And I will turn around on Angel as a character, but Angel and Buffy together, mm-hmm. like, when I say that I don't like Buffy and Angel as a couple, it's because of shit like this. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's gross. Yeah, like, I mean, oh. like, Buffy and Spike might have their issues. They have massive issues, but I feel you like... Think? they I I feel like they are on a more even playing field, because, I mean, Spike is, you know, y- younger than Angel physically, and b- met Buffy when she was older, so... Right, he meets Buffy when she's 16, but he doesn't get the hots for Buffy until she's in college, at least. Eight Spike, not yeah. Angel. Yeah, I mean, there's... Yeah. Yeah, and they definitely have their issues. Yeah, no question about it. Oh, yeah. The, yeah. Anyway. Yeah, not defending any of that, but yeah, this is kind of the reasons why Bangled, not my thing. Yeah. Uh, and so then we get another little scene of Kralik, and he's free now, um, even though we don't really know exactly how all of that worked, but he's turned Blair, and, uh, Giles then finds out that Kralik is loose, and I do like the little bits of Giles in this episode. I mean, like, there's not a lot of Giles, but what we get from Giles is good. So, in the scene where Giles goes to the house, unlike in other instances that we have criticized, specifically David, the first thing he does is basically make a stake. He he yep. takes the, the railing and he makes a stake because we've been criticizing the fact that nobody carries a fucking stake. So, Mama didn't raise no fool, that's why. Right. Conversely, however, I will <laughs> I will I will fault Giles for a not realizing that there's something seriously wrong right off the bat. When, like, nobody answers him. It's like, uh, no. And then, what I'm really curious about is, what did Kralik do to the dead watcher that makes Giles look like he's about to vomit? Well, we only, like, see his arm, and it's, like, covered in blood. So right. I... I mean, we don't see anything 
given what Giles has seen in his work, like, what did they do to him that made Giles, like, physically ill? I don't want to know. I don't want to know either, but I am curious. It's weird. Okay, so from (laughs) this point on in the episode... What we're looking at, and it's incredibly well done in terms of the visual style, the darkness and light aspects of it. Like, mm. this is one of the mm. Buffy episodes where I am legit scared. Like, I, you know what I mean? Where, oh, yeah. where the, it's shot very much from this point on like a horror movie and the interplay of light and shadow. So, like, I, I'm not as, you know what I mean? Like, I, I don't know what I'm trying to say, but. No, it's directed very well. And so that sort of, like, buildup of Giles and going after the noise and hearing the... And the sound design on these scenes with the subtle creeps and creaks is very much in line with mm-hmm. what we're going to get visually for the rest of the episode. So I think it just like plays into the visual style of it. It is well produced. For sure. Well, judging by the way Craig talks to Joyce, um, specifically later on, later on he says the first thing she'll see is your face and she'll eat it or something along those yeah. lines. Yeah. I do wonder if he doesn't like do debauchery even by vampire standards? Uh, when Giles tells Buffy what's going on with Kralik, we do find out that Kralik was a monster before he became a vampire. He was a serial he was a serial killer, and then he became a vampire. So I Fun. think by vampire standards, he is particularly vile. So you know what we should do to Jeffrey Dahmer: make him immortal and give him karate. Is basically, I think, what happened here. <laughs> that sounds very... Yeah. yeah, but and all his victims were women. And I think that's going to be really important oh, here, too. Yeah. Like, they say that he killed yes. 12 women or whatever the number is. And so, like, I think that's going to play into what's about to happen. We get the scene of Buffy walking the streets alone. Mm. And she is harassed. And David, what do you think of Buffy's coat? <laughs> It's fine. It's fine. It's, it's red. It's an excellent coat, David. It's very red. It's it's I didn't know it's a good coat. I mean, there's obviously a little red riding hood thing going on here. Red riding hood. Oh, well, yeah. yes, no, obviously, yes. And and so I think I am not sure if David Fury wanted to put this as his one of his thesis statements in this this episode, but it, it it's there, right? So you get these men that are verbally harassing Buffy, right? Which is one of women's biggest fears, right? It, 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 you know, yes. I, it's happened to me so many times that I can't even count. You know, countless, 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 countless times. Now, I turn around and start harassing them back, especially if they're ineffectual white boys, like these two guys, maybe not in the dark, but I have no, you know, of my mm-hmm. own safety sometimes. But anyway, worst fears and Buffy can usually turn around and shove them or know that she can handle herself. And lash out and not be the quote-unquote victim. And so what we've seen Mm -hmm. in Kralik and what we know so far is that he is a torturer and killer of women. Which is also our biggest fear that these street harassers are going to turn around and kill us. Yeah, and and, and they acknowledge it directly. Buffy's, you know, sort of chastising herself. She's like, oh no, Angel, you don't have to walk me home. I'll be fine because up until this point, she can absolutely take care of herself in a definite way. Yeah, again, I don't necessarily believe, as Andy so articulately put it, that this was one of uh, Fury's thesis statements, but it it really Um, comes across the love of God. So, so, yes. (laughs) So, I I, I have, I think, 
when you say this wasn't part of Fury's thesis statement, I think it may have been. I think so, yeah. Maybe I, not maybe not thesis statement per se, but the the whole thing is, you know, Buffy the the whole genesis of Buffy was Joss wanting to invert, you know, little blonde girl being harassed by monsters mm-hmm. and all of a sudden being like showing up little blonde girl who could fight back. And I think they're they may be I think they may overdo it a little here, but I think they're very clearly inverting that inversion. Oh, definitely. <laughs> I mean, several of the scenes from this might as well be taken out of I Know What You Did Last Summer. That was she's running, oh, she's running down the... Mm. Yeah, yeah. you know what? The more we talk about it, the further we get into this episode and we actually like pick it apart as we do, um, I... I, I take it back. It might have been his intention in writing this. I Because I mm-hmm. feel like so often what they're saying is in, unintentional, but it mm-hmm. just keeps happening over and over again that it feels like maybe it, it isn't. Mm-hmm. Well, one thing I have to say is that I think it was not David Fury's original intention. I think it was Joss Whedon's intention. Because one thing about this episode mm-hmm. is that the what David Fury originally presented was that the drug Giles gave Buffy would make her hallucinate that her friends and her mom were vampires. vampires right. Yeah. Right. Uh, but Joss and David Greenwalt then came up with the whole taking away her powers thing because it was so soon after the wish and they didn't yeah. want to mm-hmm. do the vampire thing again. Right. That makes a lot of sense. And didn't Sutherland not like the makeup or something? Oh, Joyce, yes. Christine What's Sutherland. Joyce's real name? Christine, Christine Sutherland. Sutherland. Christine, Christine Sutherland. Sorry, Christine Sutherland. I blanked. Yeah, apparently Christine Sutherland really hated the vampire makeup. Yeah. And also, I think that, yeah, having it come so soon after The Wish, because this is what... Good yeah. call. Good call. Yeah. Three sure. episodes later, or something like that. So, yeah. Yeah, that's very soon to show them as vampires mm-hmm. again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think, frankly, this makes it for does. a better yeah. episode. Oh, yeah. Ooh, and it yeah. makes a lot more sense in terms and of... That, and that's what a showrunner does, right? That they, 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 exactly. they go, mm-hmm. well... I like what you're doing, but let's do it this way. I like what you're doing. Let, let's refine this. Let's figure it out. And then adding to the mythology of this... I can never pronounce what this thing is called. MC, please pronounce it for me. Crucimentum. Thank you. That idea is interesting. Um, it's horrible, mm-hmm. but it's interesting. So, yes, there is definitely... Mm-hmm. Yes. part of that is, that is inverting the inversion but it this episode is scary for me you know what i mean it's it's very this episode is because very it does scary. hit on those things especially that the street harassment and the things that kralik says to buffy and how he acts and that that those fears as women become manifest and 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 the actual physical taking away of power from her which is when mm-hmm. these things happen to us we do feel so powerless. I think it's there on purpose. Yeah. Well, one of the things about this episode, and we will get more into this later on, this episode is a horror movie. 100%. And by that, I don't mean a slasher movie. I mean a claustrophobic horror movie where Buffy is trying, they're trying to scare Buffy to death, basically. Mm -hmm. Uh, But yes, we have Buffy being harassed by these random guys and then she meets Kralik and like I said in the beginning of this episode, it's scary to see Buffy scared. Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. it genuinely terrifies me. Mm -hmm. And Giles comes and rescues her! (laughs) It is Pujol! How did he know? Oh, and we have to talk about this scene. Where Giles tells Buffy uh, what's going on. 
Sarah's. Oh my. Uh, Sarah's face. That that betrayal yeah, um, is so just. Good. Sarah and Tony both knock this episode out of the park. I mean, we always go on about how good they are, but in this episode yes. in particular, they're so good. They're mm-hmm. they play off each other, and to be able to be this vulnerable sometimes is because you trust the other actor in the scene to allow that to happen and to feel the feelings and know when you come out of that scene that you are going to be emotionally supported. Cause we know we've heard before that Sarah mm-hmm. can literally just break down because she goes yeah. there so mm-hmm. much. And I think, you know, and I think the production was careful with that. And I think they were probably really great to her about that. But knowing that Tony is there to be able to do this with is probably got to be pretty comforting. Cause I would, I mean, he's a pro they're both like super pros. So but they're both amazing. They're just so freaking amazing. They are. I I love uh, Cordelia's for a lot of reasons I like Cordelia's appearance in this scene. But as 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 Buffy's parting line, I don't know you, the the cutting it with humor, which is is part of the show. It's 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 Buffy. But I wish they'd let us have, they'd let us sit in it yeah. a little longer. Yes. You know. Mm. Earlier, she does say, who are you? And the way she oh, that's the it, that's betrayal it. in her... Well, this is even before Cordelia comes in. Uh, she's like, who are you? What have you done to me? When when she has her hand oh. up in her hair and she says, I can't yeah, hear I can't this. this. Like, she wants to right. deny... You know what I mean? It's like, I can't hear this. I don't want to listen to this. And, and Giles is really fighting his duty as a watcher an official watcher versus his actual duty to his relationship to Buffy. And and those are coming into a major cognitive dissonance there. Yeah. And that's a responsibility that the Watcher's Council doesn't, doesn't recognize at all. And I don't know if it was a choice by Sarah, if it was a direction choice or what, but that, that image of her trying, that reversion to a childlike desire to literally not hear what's going on. Oh, yeah. Is mm-hmm. incredible considering their relationship and, and, and what this episode explores in their relationship. It's just... That's instinctual acting stuff, I think. I don't know if a director, like, a director can definitely refine a performance, but I can tell that, you know, Sarah is is reverting into a childlike stance and wanting to protect herself and I, I think that's all just like actor's instinct and her just being so good at her job well when she says who are you you cannot convince me that buffy did not want giles to respond with pulling off his mask and saying actually i am ethan rain she yeah, right. so desperately wants it to not be giles because giles could mm-hmm. never do this to her um, and we do have Cordelia come into the scene, and it does break things up. Uh, I and I agree that I want to live with this tension, like because I I need this, and ha- breaking it up with jokes kind of takes something out of it. But what Cordelia does is Her beautiful. Face. Her face, mm-hmm. charisma. I mean, just with one look. I mean, this whole scene. I just excellent on every part her face the way it breaks for buffy she understands instinctively she has no idea what's going on but she is immediately empathetic and and caring despite all the shit that happened episodes ago and and how it's sort of been jarring in their relationship with each other she's just so 
good fuck. The way she says, of course, and it's two words. And she's been, and she's been doing a Cordelia funny poking towards Giles in the set. But the minute she really notices and sees, and she's like, of course. Like, I just love Charisma's lion reading there. Oh, yeah. Again, like, so I, I, you know, I just, I, I, I lament the fact that these women, like, the actual actresses do not get, like, I totally understand Sarah's choice to stop acting and open up her own dessert company. Because she's so good, but when she hit about 30, she wasn't, like, it just pisses me off, as usual. Same thing with Charisma. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Cordelia's character in this moment, like, I've seen a lot of people, and I've said this in the past, where it's like, oh, I don't understand how Cordelia could become the character that that they had at the end of Angel Season 3. I do think the switch is very extreme, I think that, and oftentimes in fandom, they will refer to it as Saint Corduffy. <laughs> and, but the thing is, the seeds of Cordelia being this incredibly empathetic and self-sacrificing person have always been there. Because yet here, she doesn't know what's going on. She just knows Buffy is crying, fighting with Giles. And that there's something wrong. And she's willing to help Buffy out despite all of the problems that has happened between Cordelia and the Scoobies. And it, it, and it goes back to that minor theme of like, it's not the men in these situations that Buffy's going to, to solve her problems. Yeah, she doesn't know Cordy's coming in. But that sort of, she tries to help Cordy earlier with the guy, even though Cordy can totally handle herself. And we know that. <laughs> and she did. But you know, like the women even just subtly coming to each other's rescues in this case. Like, I think that also really, like it works because the men in these mm-hmm. situations have betrayed, Hank has betrayed her. Giles has betrayed her. So who's she going to like look to? It, it's, 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 it's the woman in the situation. It's the woman in the scene. I mean, Cordy, for all her sarcasm and bluntness, has never betrayed Buffy or anyone else, really. No. Nope. I mean, Cordy, Cordy is not a bad person. She's sometimes unpleasant, but she's not a bad person, and she wouldn't do that. And also speaking to the thing about, you know, how she gets from here to the end of her run on Angel, to say that that is a weird turnaround is totally wrong, I, th- I believe. It's a long, circuitous path, and the ends are very extreme, but it's all there. Certainly we will get to this when we get on to Angel. The only problem mm. I have with Cordelia's storyline on Ain- uh, from Buffy onto Angel is the fact that her and Angel's feelings for each other do kind of come up from nowhere. That's the only problem I yeah. have with that. Oh, yeah, but yeah. we will get to that later so on. So unlike Andy. Shut Up Xander... Uh, T-shirts available on (laughs) Redbubble. Cordelia is starting to overcome her, the damage done by her shitty parents, right? And and we're going to see that because we're going to find out pretty quickly here that her dad is being brought up on tax evasion charges and she's going to have nothing. Yeah. I don't know if that's happened yet. I don't think it has, but we're seeing her overcome some like uh, programming, whereas Xander isn't in the place and he's not past his programming. I'm going to make a guess that actually everything that's going on with Cordelia's family is probably starting now because by the time of the prom, everything Mm -hmm. from her family has been taken away. So it's probably 
they're probably like in the initial stages of it, which actually might go to explain some of Cordelia. I mean, other than the fact that Xander fucking betrayed her, but hmm. kind of explain some of the meanness where she has all of this horrible stuff going on at home and absolutely no one to talk about it with. Yep. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. But Cordelia takes Buffy home, but before Buffy can get there, Joyce gets to meet Kralik. Okay, so Buffy and Giles, y'all <laughs> needed to at least give her a 10 minute training on not, on not um, investigating suspicious noises. I, I know we're, I know we're in the horror movie aspect mm-hmm. and the sound design tells you that, right? With creaks and crackles and yeah, like, yeah. we're in the full horror movie portion of this episode. So I, I get that she has oh, to yeah. go investigate the strange noise because it's a trope but i'm like dude give your mom like a 10 minute talk about just like not freaking answering the door at night this is the same woman who went after spike with an axe though so like true true yeah Hmm. she gonna anyway moving on (laughs) from that and i gotta say you know and now that i think of it that really is a good rate code because it even looks good on (laughs) (laughs) crazy there you are it is and again we're getting into the whole little red right Little yes. Red Riding Hood motif, but in this, it's kind of switched up, where instead of dressing up as the grandmother, the mm-hmm. wolf dresses up like Little Red Riding Hood. So, yep. a little bit different. And when Buffy finally gets home, oh god, just the, the, the flowers. Her knocking the flowers down. And boy, that's a badly made balloon. Thank because you. Because it deflated really, it really happened. fast. It's in my notes. Mylar balloons last for a thousand years. Yes. Yes. Worst balloon ever. Of course, Hank would give her a shitty Mylar balloon. <laughs> right. Yes. It's like, even in that small scene where she throws in the trash, it's basically saying, I have no father. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and for sure. Hank or Giles. Yeah, it's fitting that she should do this now rather than when Hank first betrayed her because it's not about Hank, it's about Giles. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, you think you can fall back on someone. You know, that's, it's not fallback. You think you can rely on someone. She's like, okay, fine. My father's been distant more and more and more. Um, but this is the person I can, I can trust implicitly mm-hmm. and without reservation. And yet, and yet. you can't. <laughs> yeah. And yet. And we get another example of the fact that the powers don't make Buffy the Slayer. Buffy makes herself the Slayer because when the moment she figures out that Joyce is in danger, she's gonna go off and take care of her. She puts on her overalls yeah. of sadness to go take care of the problem. <laughs> she does. Uh, you know what? I love the overalls of sadness because they're so freaking cute on Sarah, but they are her overalls of sadness. They are, and mm-hmm. also there is a really nice bit of acting from Sarah, and probably a nice bit of directing, where when she's picking up the bag, she... Yes. It's, heavy. We see that it's heavy. Yeah. Yes. It is a really nice touch that... If it weren't there, I don't think anybody would be bothered by the fact that it wasn't mm-hmm. there, except maybe David, mm-hmm. because David likes to point that <laughs> stuff out. <laughs> but I don't know that I would have noticed it, but but it is it is a nice bit, and it's and again, it's not overdone. Yeah, exactly, which is really it's it's just it's she plays it just right, and we get Kralik with Joyce, and oh, Jeff Gober is so good at playing I super know. creepy. He really oh. is, and mm. but he's got nuance to that creepy. It's not yeah. like a one note. Mm-hmm. It's like when Joss talks about when they were casting the master, 
how everybody came in and read mm-hmm. it like really like straightforward he 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 mustache twirling evil <laughs> and mark medcalf mm-hmm. came in and gave it you know humor and he gave it slyness and and i think mm-hmm. that's what jeff cober does here but christine's yes. face is very interesting to me there's some terror there but at the same mm-hmm. time the way her eyes are moving around the room i think it's very parallel to what buffy does when she um investigates very quickly space like there's I, i'm seeing there's a thought mm-hmm. process there about how joyce herself could try to use her environment to get out i don't think she thinks she can but she's very you know what i mean like there's terror but there's also like an intelligence to how she's looking that i think is always mirrored in buffy as logan pointed out before joyce is the person that smacked spike upside the head with an axe yep joyce is not somebody who is just going to let herself be a damsel yeah right she may not have the ability to get out but she's going to be on on the lookout for any opportunity anyway. Yeah, I just think it was a really nice piece of acting on uh, Christine Sutherland's part there. Mm-hmm. Oh, not, definitely. And it's nuanced because it's not the pure terror. That, that's a sign of a good actor where you're playing layers mm-hmm. and levels and not just like one emotion. So I, I just have yeah. to compliment Christine mm-hmm. on that. Come on our podcast. <laughs> uh, so Buffy goes to the Sunnydale Arms and then Giles meets up with Travers. Grr! Ugh. And we we really see Ugh. how much Giles loves Buffy. As much as he's betrayed her through this episode, he knows at this point that what he's done is wrong and what the Watchers are doing is wrong. And he doesn't fucking care. He's going... And we get the impression from everything we've seen that Travers is it. He is the Watchers Council. Every time he comes up later on... He yep. is the head of the council. So this is Giles standing mm-hmm. up to his boss uh, and saying that, no, this is wrong. What everybody's doing is wrong. And seriously, I just wish Giles had said that this is, you know, this isn't a test. It's an execution because it is mm-hmm. a fucking yeah. execution. And also, again, again, Trevor is showing that the Watcher's Council is total shit. It's like, you know, Giles is very clear. What you know, he has told Buffy about it. The test is invalid. And Quentin just goes, oh, no, test still going on. <laughs> Even though before it's like, well, this is how we've done it for thousands of years. So it has to be done because of the rules. And now, of course, it's like rules. What rules? Right, and, and there was a moment where I actually wrote little ripper face when he grabs Travers, but it's not. <laughs> He's not mm. being Ripper. He's being Giles. And I realized yes. that. I, I, mm-hmm. I rewound a little bit and was like, yep. no, that's not rebellious Ripper. That's that's Giles mm-hmm. in there. And I think that's, that's Papa really, Giles. That's Papa Giles. Although at the same time, I have to I, I'm going to ding Giles slightly. I mean, Travers. OK, we know Travers is a piece of shit. So this is why he doesn't do anything. But Giles knows the acrylics on the loose. And throughout this, he's done nothing. To do anything about public safety or protect anyone or check where Kralik might be. I mean, like, literally. Anything. He says, though, in the scene where Buffy feels so betrayed, what we just talked about, he says the test is invalidated. I will take care of the fallout from Kralik. He actually says that in the scene mm-hmm. with Buffy. So he does. He's like, I'll he does me. make. I mean, he hasn't done anything about it yet, but he has right. said that he will take care of it. So there's a plan yeah. for him to take care of it. 
Mm-hmm. We move on to Buffy actually at the boarding house, and we see Buffy with a crossbow, which is something, one, I always love seeing, because I love Buffy with mm. uh, flying fatality. And it's actually super smart on Buffy's part to use a crossbow, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. while we were seeing her having problems throwing knives, throwing knives is different than aim. So, and there's nothing in that... From what we've heard about that drug, that means that Buffy's aim should be really mm-hmm. be affected. Yeah, I, I I was wondering about that because the I mean I don't know how muscle rela- re- relaxants would affect your ability to have your your arms do what arms. you want them to do. <laughs> that's um, the only thing I can think of that where that would even be. I mean that's that's because I was wondering that back in the knife scene because it's like. Wait a minute, that drug doesn't sound like it should be do. Certainly it shouldn't be throwing her aim off as much as it is in the knife scene. I I didn't articulate it well, but I think that's what I was talking about when I was talking to the drug itself. She talks about how she's clumsier. I'm like, but Mm. I mean, maybe if you're high on muscle relaxants, I suppose. But this does make me bring up when it comes to crossbows, don't they require a lot of strength to string and, and, and load? Like, don't you have to use your whole body? I think it depends on the type of crossbow you're using. Uh, okay. Mm. I think that certainly normal people use crossbows. <laughs> and mm-hmm. But she she has no normalcy. She can't... Uh, that's true. Uh, my problem with the knife throwing scene is that they have any of the knives actually buried in. I don't think it should be a matter of aim. I think mm. it should be a matter of Strength. if the her muscles are being because i mean we do see her throwing them and they just kind of bounce off because she's just not connecting Mm -hmm. right which that's Mm -hmm. what it should have been that she isn't able to Mm -hmm. get the strength Mm -hmm. behind it and the right Mm -hmm. aim is different than accuracy because i mean the accuracy to throw it so that it spins so that it buries in so i think that's the problem Mm -hmm. so i do think using a crossbow is is right for buffy because she can she can still potentially aim and she doesn't have to worry about burying a stake through somebody's torso Mm -hmm. i want to talk about the mini horror movie that's going on here and that deep psychological horror first of all their sound editors and mixers with the little noises and creaks it's genius christoph we haven't talked about christoph in a while christoph knows how to use genre Right, within yes. his music, and mm-hmm. he's full on going. It's that big horror movie thing, but like this scene plays like, I don't know if any of you have ever seen Wait Until Dark, which is about a blind oh, yeah. woman that she takes out all the lights in her house so she's on equal footing with her her assaulters. It's, it's Audrey Hepburn, and it's brilliant, and it's it's great. So, Audrey Hepburn and, and Alan Arkin, and Alan and Arkin it's, it's genius, as. But, as as an amazingly creepy Alan. Um, so Arkin. there's a little bit of that in there. Uh, it's just a movie recommendation for y'all. It's it's really great. But and the play oh, yeah. and the go, play. Go see least, that. And is this Michael Gershman again? Is the cinematographer? I suspect it is. Right. Probably. Um, he was, and his play. Because sometimes I'm like, I can't them. see what's going on. I'm a little frustrated. But then the light source changes, and it's like mm. half the face, and it's just. It's it's a genius bit of filming. I do have one problem with this, and I am. Putting this squarely on David Fury. Oh, okay. we have talked about the allusions to Little Red Riding Hood, which were really well handled through this episode. Mm. We didn't need Little Red Riding Hood actually quoted. True. Mm. Show not tell. I I yeah. I felt it was like the one step too far because it's like 
you you don't need it. It's very unnecessary because the coat's just supposed to be like this playful little reference to it. And you don't. It's mm-hmm. unnecessary for Crayola, and it, it it's it was a little try hard to make Kralik seem creepy. And it's like, no, you've already got me on the creepy. Well, you got me when you cast Jeff Coburn. Well, yeah. Right? It's like, <laughs> oh, you, bless him. <laughs> casting can be like 80% of your work as a producer or director. You get the right person in there and you don't, you can show and not tell. And one thing that happens in this scene is, oh my God, the pleasure he gets from being burned by a cross. <sighs> oh, yeah. Oh my God. It's beautiful acting from him because, I mean, like, you can write that and it can come off completely wrong. Mm-hmm. But the way he plays it is just so. And I mean, I'm not. I'm not trying to shame anybody for kinks because, I mean, if people get off on pain, that's fine. But he makes it seem so unsettling. He's forcing Buffy to give him that pleasure. Yes. Yeah, it's not about mutual kink wrong. involvement of, uh, yeah, uh, we both like this. And Sarah's face. Sarah's face. She's that so disgusted good. by it. It's just so, ugh. And horrified. She's like, oh god, what do I do if these things, the only things I can do are really blowing up in my face. Again, it's that thesis mm-hmm. statement of women's worst fears, right? The thing that you think you're going to be able mm-hmm. to use to defend yourself, even slightly, is the thing that is making the dude get that much more excited about it. It's it's so gross. Oh, now I just got it into my head that Spike actually suggested that they use crosses once and Buffy was just like, hard no. <laughs> She's like hard Bless. limit. I'm not putting that on my kink checklist. Yep. That's a hard. That's a hard limit. <laughs> Bit been there. Don't want to do yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, this fight is so good because this is not a kicky, fighty, punchy thing going on. It's so nope. claustrophobic mm-hmm. and dark, yeah. and it's all about chasing mm-hmm. the little morsel around. And oh, it's oh, and the room with all of the Joyce oh. pictures. Yeah. Oh God. It's got ba- it's got ba- like a seven five Fincher seven five going on here, and I don't know mm. when that came out, but you know what I mean. It's got that the shadow play, light, dark, early two thousands. Um, because a lot of the lighting yeah. is very bright in some places, and then very dark, really inky, shadowy. Why are you laughing at me? Oh, I'm laughing at you. I'm just imagining Crayley going into like. A fucking camera shop and buying a Polaroid. <laughs> where did he get it? <laughs> where did it come from? That's a really good question, oh my God, though. That's a great question. <laughs> I mean, of course. Here's the thing: he didn't go into a camera shop and buy a Polaroid camera. He went into a. Well, I mean, actually, at this in 1998, you probably didn't need to go into a camera store to buy a Polaroid. You could probably buy it at a corner store. But he went into a store and he killed a clerk. And then just took it. Like, and a lot of cartridges. Yes. So many. A lot of cartridges. <laughs> well, he's been locked up in that box. He's just like, I know what yeah. I'm going to do. <laughs> Don't have anything to do. I'll make plans. Yeah. Plus. All right. Sorry, y'all. I was not laughing at you, Andy. I'm okay. fully on board. But and then, you know, and then we get Buffy's, like, excellent moment of... Oh, my the God. holy water. Buffy's and I, I don't know how holy water works. I don't even want to go there. But it's... I was gonna say, yeah. But... It burns them on contact. How did he not notice immediately? True, but the yeah. fact Why that wasn't... she does it. That that is... That, oh, that, but yeah, it's great. Again, Buffy's it's... really great at assessing her environment. 
assess the situation. Mm. It's one of my favorite. Yeah, kills it is one show. of my favorite oh, yeah, kills sure. in the show too. Yeah, but it is really clever. I, I will nitpick a couple of things though. David, how uh, this is so unlike you. I know, I know. Uh, a, given all the talk we've had about how her coordination is off and how she can't even shoot a crossbow straight, how does she get through that little space to go down the chute <laughs> to get down to the the room where? Well, Joyce Giles is. hasn't dosed her in and a little while. I suspect. I always suspected that there was another maybe. dose he should have given before she went into the field of mm. play, as Travers calls it. And maybe, maybe. it's. I don't know. Maybe the other thing is. This is a production nitpick. The way it's shot and cut, she does not have time to put that holy water in the glass. I'll accept that. Uh, this is the only time we actually see that holy water is actually fatal. Yeah. Like, because, I mm-hmm. mean, it's always just, like, kind of a mild inconvenience, but I guess it's different when it's on the inside. Inside is to the outside, I guess. Yeah. But, but yeah. Bleach on the outside of your skin is fine. Bleach in your organs. That is a good, good point. Idea. That's very, very true. And I've mm-hmm. always loved the line, if I was at full Slayer power, I'd be punning right mm-hmm. now. Oh. <laughs> uh, the way she takes the bottle out of her overalls of sadness, she's like, guess what? <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> yeah, he, she, she, she is really kind of just like, I had this. I mean, it is. It's taking <laughs> yeah. back your power, which I think is really, it's, it's mm-hmm. a good metaphor. You know what I mean? It, it, it's mm-hmm. working with these thematic things. She is right. taking back that power as the Slayer, as Buffy, mm-hmm. as a woman, as a smart person, you know, all those things. And, you know, there was a moment mm-hmm. there where I was like, why didn't you just go get Angel? But that can't work. Like, just thematically, that that can't work. He cannot yeah. be the person that comes in and rescues, even though it's no. the logical thing to do. It's not the thematic yeah. thing no, no, to no. do with the show. In general. Uh, and with Kralik dead, the only thing we have is left is Vampire Blair and... Well, Buffy is really good at saving herself. I like that Giles I do is too. the one that saves her from Blair. Because it's, it's, we needed to have that moment where Giles comes and actually does Puts himself in danger. Puts himself yeah. in danger. And also, because Blair is a former Watcher, it there's almost something symbolic about him killing off another Watcher to protect Buffy. Yeah, I never thought of it that way. And And it's effectively his last action as a watcher yeah oh all right and the scene of travers with buffy and giles and um, what you don't really get to i don't appreciate is the wrong word to use but you don't really process just how beaten buffy is until you see her in the library mm-hmm. like in like actual light and everything but just the damage that this fight with Kralik has caused her. Oh, God. She just looked really bad. But, oh, she wants to kill Travers, and I really don't blame her. And again, I point out, he never uses her name. You know, you have a father's love for the child. He calls her at the end of the conversation, colorful Mm. girl. Girl being a diminisher, not... I'm going to argue. Travers probably doesn't know or care. Oh, no, no. I think that's the point. Like, it's not... Yeah, cool. no, I I totally agree with you. Mm-hmm. No argument there. Is it worse if he doesn't know or, or that it's intentional? Damn good question. I have no I idea. I think both are horrific in, you know, their own special sure. ways. <laughs> Fun. Yeah, that's, ju- yeah, yeah, those are just both, it's like. And I think it's a little bit of both <laughs> yeah. because he does use very diminishing language to describe her. And it's very purposeful. 
whether he knows her name or not, he yeah. is trying to mm-hmm. diminish her as a human being. And we know what this show is about. It's about they do it in a really flawed way, but the main thesis of Buffy as a whole, as a series, is about women taking power and owning power. And and the Watcher's Council will always treat the right. Slayer as a tool yeah, and, are a tool. and nothing women else. Are tools. Women are a ways to, ends to a mean, not mm-hmm. people. Yeah, and I mean, if right. you like, look at Kendra, she canonically did not know what her real name was. The Watcher's Council have always encouraged this dehumanization of the slayers even with themselves right that was their inception they chained her to the earth you know the beginning of the slayer it's always been these women these girls these literal children are Mm. not human beings they're what we use to fight a war they're chained to the ground and violated Oh, yeah, absolutely, because of what they... We'll get into that. Actually, I meant to bring this up a lot earlier, but when we're talking about honing something into a weapon and holding it as separate from yourself, um, I get a lot of Harry Potter vibes in this, especially when you think about book five and and Dumbledore's intentional distancing himself from Harry, this this weapon that he's been honing and creating for all these years with, with, mm. with, with Buffy and Giles. That's all I can think about this time watching, this time around watching it. But then I'm and Buffy like, does have a big scar on her head at the end of the season. <laughs> It'll go away, though. She's, she's, she's a quick healer. Um, but I'm doing my summer reread, so it's, it's on my mind, as is. And just this last bit with Giles tenderly taking care of Buffy, and they just don't say anything. He's just carefully dabbing her. Wounds. And we're not going to see a talk of them working through these issues. Right? We're not going to have some big scene of them. No. And I think if he had stayed with the council, if he hadn't been fired and taken mm. from her like that, there may have needed to be more conversations about trust. And But the fact that he is fired and then says, I'm not leaving, I'm not going away, is sort of that. And then him taking rag or taking the piece of cloth and gently nurturing and you know caring for her is that way for them to get back to where they need to be and her willingness to let that happen the way she looks at him it's an it implied is. forgiveness which i think as much as mm-hmm. i want these people to talk about their shit and like go to a therapy group and individual i, I appreciate mm-hmm. the way they approach that right from a writing thing. standpoint and a plotting standpoint i think mm-hmm. that's the way yeah, if they were real life, real human, I'd be like, no, y'all yeah, get to get. But like <laughs> yeah. in terms of the way it's character mm-hmm. development and sort of a shorthand so that, you know, it, as much as we want to see them go to therapy, we also mm-hmm. want to watch a show with, you know, things that happen. Um, For sure. <laughs> that's why in treatment only lasted like a season and a half on HBO. Nobody really wanted to sit through. Well, I don't know. Didn't do therapies all right. <laughs> But we get one final scene at the end, and oh my god, you were so close, Xander. So close! But I love so it. So close. It's you were so like close to not being horrible by not being in the episode. <laughs> <laughs> I love that Joyce is super proud. She's like, no, 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 you tell it. You tell it better. Joyce is very proud of Buffy in that moment. She's so beautifully proud. I love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, like Xander, like he was, they they did have some Xander scenes in this episode. They weren't a lot, they were a little bit, and they were no. so close to getting through an episode where there was no toxic masculinity from fucking Xander. Mm-hmm. But then at the very I end, know. he comes the, through uh, on with the, other the hand, shut up Xander. 
Of course, they do make a they do make a point of undercut. Yeah, I think that's the <sighs> thing where he immediately turns to Willow and asks for help. Yeah, yeah. Turns to and, and I woman. think in this case, and yes, fuck you, Xander, shut up. There, that's a very purposeful toxic masculinity line from the writers. Like, I don't think it's them, because yeah. a lot of times, mm-hmm. Xander's toxic masculinity, the writers don't even realize what they're doing. In this case, it's very, very purposeful. Mm. Yeah. There's the two, there's the Watsonian versus the Doyle. Right. Where I do get annoyed by the writers a lot of the time when they don't realize they're writing Xander with this toxic masculinity. But then I'm <laughs> always fucking pissed with Xander about it, because what... Buffy is like, you're loving this, aren't you? And Xander is relishing in it. It was like, Xander, your friend's powers have been taken away so she could be fucking terrified and you're enjoying it just so you can open up a jar for her. And also, I would like to protest the jar that they used because it's peanut butter. It is a plastic it's grippy thingies. It's a plastic peanut butter jar. Nobody ever has had problems opening up those jars. It should have been the <laughs> jelly jar. It was me. I've had problems opening up a peanut butter jar. <laughs> she, in my in my defense, at the store I had dropped it, and so it got off its track. Like it got that's off its no, different you know, situation. You know, track where you could open it, and I did have to have my my companion open it for me. And then I felt like less of a woman actually when I had to ask him. So it's happened. But not like this. Okay, but that's a that's a very that's a very specific, specific thing. So special. I, I will point out that I I am bad at opening jars. But I mean, like <laughs> the the having trouble opening jars. I mean, that's usually like the the glass it, jars. It is. It's not I like you I'm just being Andy. Um, because yeah. I actually am yeah. about as coordinated as Buffy is without her Slayer power. Final thoughts on this episode? <laughs> uh, good episode. I mean, really. I mean, not cheery. By any means, but uh, yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's a good episode. It explores a lot of really important points to the mythos and to Buffy and Giles's relationship. And it's just, it's a very solid character piece. I think Sarah just sings in this episode. She's so good. And, you know, and after Mm. the, you know, wiping of the blood off her head, it's like, it sucks that she went through this and it. But it actually opens her and Giles up to having, I have a note, what did I say? Um, He can act as her watcher in a good way, right? He can act as what a true watcher Mm -hmm. should be and not what's prescribed by the council and the behavior and the shutting off of emotions and seeing the Slayer as a tool, which he's been building for. And this actually leaves them on a foundation Mm -hmm. To have a better relationship and a more communicative relationship and a relationship of equals instead of a hierarchy. So I I really, you know, but this is all Sarah's Mm -hmm. episode and she's brilliant. I think you're exactly right. This really is, this is, yeah, I mean, this is the point where Giles moves from being a watcher in the sense of being part of the Watcher's Council to being a watcher as someone who watches over her. With, as we've we've often discussed, a parental perspective. Right, but parental in a way that's... In a positive parental perspective, yeah. Right, that's not, you know, authoritarian or patriarchal, just the way to be a father figure. No, no, just with, with a caring... Communication and, yeah. And yes. Buffy and Giles are going to have their problems later on, and it's because she's fucking growing up. 
Oh. You know, but at this point, she yeah. he can be People for her always what do. he really needs to be, not what that prescribed role is for her. So I think that's that's pretty beautiful. He can he can let go of that other part of being a watcher that was kind of holding him back from being a yeah. true parental figure in some ways. Uh, well, not so much let go as be fired, but you know, <laughs> depends on who's doing the letting go, um, right? <laughs> Yeah, for me... It's Elsa! (laughs) I appreciate um, the sort of pared down as far... uh, aspect of this as far as, like, who's actually acting when we get lines from people and interactions with the Scooby gang and such. But it really is focused on these three characters. Uh Kaelic and and, and, and Buffy and and Giles. And I appreciate that. I think we get... Mm -hmm. I think it was an attention of the tone as far as, like it being a horror movie but also it's 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 quieter does that make sense yeah i'm not articulating this well but yeah it's it's it helps with the claustrophobia it kind of reminds me of the mm-hmm. film adaptation of hard candy there were like I five people that, in that yeah. movie um it's it's a good way to really focus on how exceptional these people are at their craft which mm-hmm. was excellent yeah, no, I definitely, um, it's going to be interesting to see where this episode falls exactly in my uh, list for the end of the season, because mm-hmm. this season is so fucking strong. But this is a really great episode, and I think it really showcases yeah. Sarah yeah. and Tony's acting abilities, and I, I quite like this yeah. episode. And and uh, Jeff Kober. And Jeff Kober. Of course, yes. A uh, couple of mm. trivia notes for this episode, mostly related to the naming of things. Uh, David Fury named Zachary Kralik after his nephew, who was four. <laughs> he did. I bet his nephew loves that. <laughs> and also, Quentin Travers was named by combining Quentin Crisp and P.L. Travers, because David Fury <laughs> wanted the most British name he could think of. And those are pretty damn... Yep, British. Yeah. British. And in yeah. terms of the naming of the episode itself, the working title was 18. And in France, this was called Defenseless. And in German, it was The Final Exam. Oh, I like that. Yeah, it's even more beautiful in German when it's Die Reif from Perfung. I can't pronounce German (laughs) words, but German's a very beautiful language. You want me to take a shot at this? Classy. Yeah. Wow. But I think that brings us to the end of Helpless. So next time we will um, be having fun because it's an episode that focuses on Xander. uh, (laughs) We'll be reviewing and it's our 50th episode. So we'll be celebrating then and we'll be reviewing the Zeppo. So until then... Gur arg. Gur arg. Gur arg. Gur arg. We'd like to thank everyone who downloaded the podcast, and an extra special thanks to everyone who shared, liked, and subscribed on social media. If you'd like your questions or comments read on the show, you can contact us on our website, returntothehellmouth.com, on YouTube, Tumblr, and Facebook at Return to the Hellmouth, on Twitter at HellmouthReturn, or on email at returntothehellmouth at gmail.com. We'll be sure to read your comments on the show. Be sure to rate our show at iTunes and Stitcher, and check out our show merchandise on TeePublic and Redbubble. See you on Tuesday. Grr. Arg.